Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're enjoying your weekend. It's been a pretty busy week as far as investing news is concerned. Lots of things has happened. I'm going to talk about a lot of it. The main focus of this video, however, is going to be about this post here that I put up a week ago on my YouTube community. I put this one up and it got a lot of votes. I mean, I have, I just passed 5,000 subscribers. So this channel is just growing like nuts. I mean, it's growing like crazy, but having 651 people vote on it, there's a lot of opinions on this and people left a lot of comments, a lot of opinions. I'm going to get to it. But the post, if you're wondering, if you haven't seen this is... I kind of threw out something that was like, it's like a desert island scenario, right? If you're stranded on a desert island, what is the one item you would bring with you to survive? That type of thing. I did one where I said, you have to purchase one of these two companies for the next 20 years. You can only pick one. Which one do you pick? Verizon or AT&T? Now, the results, they did surprise me a little bit. I thought it would be a little bit more even because both these companies have great things about them. But Verizon got... 38% of the vote and AT&T got 62% of the vote. So way overwhelming percent of the vote. And then the comments, I'll go through them later, but they, I mean, people gave arguments on both sides and we have Verizon, which is a mostly just hundred percent telecom wireless communication company, the, the biggest in the world, as far as that's concerned. And they're a very focused company. They've done really well over the past 20 years. And then we have AT&T, which is like this behemoth conglomerate that owns a ton of really terrific assets, but they pay a higher dividend and they have a huge amount of debt that they are going to have to pay off. So we have these two companies. They both have pros and cons about them that voted on this. Again, 651. That's not a small sample size. That's a pretty big sample size. And most people went with AT&T, uh, which I think is interesting. But I'll, I'll return to this a little bit later. I wanted to just give you a little preview of what I'm going to be going over as well. We have... Um, Trump has, I mean, this has just been in the news over and over again. You've heard tariffs and tariffs and tariffs, China and trade and all this type of stuff, inflated prices. Every time Trump says something about tariffs or Mnuchin or Larry Kudlow and whether the talks are going well or whether they're they're going bad, the market bounces around like a ping pong ball. It will go up 200 points or down 450 points. And it does these interday swings of 400 points. It's absolutely crazy. So I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that, giving my opinion on it. And then other news that I thought was big for investors, we we have other things like the, you know, we have the Uber IPO. Uh, most people, I think, know uh, quite a bit about that. So I'll, I might touch on that a little bit. But I think more interesting news is this, and that is Buffett uh, stepping in on this deal with Occidental Petroleum. So PPC Ian, he did a video um, on YouTube concerning this, and I I had one of my listeners send it to me and wanted my response on it. So I'm going to go over his video, actually, and talk a little about his, but also some different takeaways. So I'm not going to just rehash his video, but I I got something a little bit different out of this whole deal that I want to go over as well that I think is interesting. But before we get into any of that, let's go to my portfolio. So this is my portfolio here. It's on M1 Finance. That is a U.S. only brokerage and 
I think it has some advantages. It's pretty cool. That's obviously why I'm using it with my money. What I do is I break all of my holdings into different sectors. And you can organize these into any different ways. But I break them into different sectors. And you can go and click into one of them like this. And I can click into telecom here. And then when I'm in telecom, it has a different screen that tells me how this sector in and of itself is performing. So I can see that I've made $117. My return's 10%. That's money weighted return. And I've been paid $61 in dividends. Telecom is a heavy dividend sector. These two companies, Verizon and AT&T, pay both really large dividends. Now, you can see that I, I've historically, funny enough, I mean, we have the, the people, my followers here, most of them have gone with T. I've put more money into Verizon recently. Right now, I have it weighted 50-50, and that's how I've had it before. But Verizon, for the past while, has performed a lot better. So I'm up 17% on Verizon, 1.5% on AT&T. Now, before I jump into this and get into some data, some charts, and some analysis, I want to just show people a couple of different things because I've gotten a lot of questions about this. The first thing is I look at the analytics of my demographic of followers, and we have a lot of people in this community that are non-US. We have a lot of Canadians. We have a lot of uh, Germans and Norwegians and, um, I mean, Australians and everywhere throughout Europe as well. So I, I know I have a lot of listeners there. And some of them expressed interest in investing using a brokerage like M1. Unfortunately, M1 is a U.S. tech startup. And part of that means they, they have limited funds, they have their funding, and they want to stretch it as far as possible. And they have this huge U.S. market that's completely untapped, that they haven't reached hardly any of the U.S. market itself. Now, with a brokerage, there's so many financial regulations when you reach out to Europe, when you reach out to Canada, and so, so on, that they want to spend most of their time avoiding that upfront cost and just trying to hit more of the U.S. market before they go out to foreign countries. And so it, it's going to take some time for them to, to first saturate some of the U.S. market, and then once that market's saturated, then they can go out into Europe and do that as well. So they have incentive. They want to get as many people using their, their stuff as possible. But I don't think it's going to be coming to Europe anytime real soon. At least they haven't announced plans for that. If they do announce plans for that, I'll be sure to let you guys know. But on that note, I do these community posts. If you're, you're a subscriber, these will show up in your feed. And I'm going to do one that just asks what you guys that are non-US, what you use. So what's the best brokerage for Canadians to use or for Europeans to use or Australians? Which ones have you guys have luck with? And We'll see what the output is there. And maybe we can help some people out that are getting started. They want to do the style of investing. Maybe the community can come together and help them out a little bit. So I'll do that. The other thing is a lot of people, when I'm doing these videos, first of all, if you want to see other reviews of different sectors, like if you want to see my review of real estate or my review of utilities or finance or healthcare, I have on my channel, if you go here, this is my, if you go to my channel and click in, it has all these playlists. There's one called portfolio review. And I'll zoom in a little bit on this. And this has videos of the different sectors that I've reviewed with videos. And so you can see this one is about consumers. This one's about real estate, finance, and so on. So you can click into those and watch those if you're interested in those as well. And this is going to be a series that I'm going to keep doing as I add and remove holdings and as time goes on. But this video in and of itself will show up probably right here. So you can you can view those. Another thing, people ask me, I wanna I wanna see the rest of your portfolio. Sometimes in the video, I don't click on it. And if you guys are interested, what is behind finance? You know, what's behind is healthcare. If you want to see what's in these holdings and what this portfolio is, the average yield of it, all that type of stuff, go to one of my videos. So you can click on any of them. And then in the description, hit show more and go down to where it says if you're going to use my personal pie 
uh, to sign up, use this link. When you click on this, you don't have to sign up for anything. This won't sign you up for anything. It's a referral link, but it doesn't do anything. You just click on it. This is exactly what it will do. It loads this screen like this, and this shows you my entire portfolio. My average yield right now is 4.29%, right? It shows you have 60 holdings, the projected returns of it. And then not only can you see all these different pies, but you can click in. So if you want to see finance here, you can click in. And then you can see all my financial holdings as well as their percentages. So all you have to do is go to the description and click on that link if you want to pick around in my portfolio. The only thing that you don't see is my personal amount of money in this or like my returns. You just see the portfolio as if it was a generic portfolio. But anybody can do that. Even if you're not using M1 Finance, you can click on that link and poke around in the same portfolio that I'm using here. Okay, but let's go back to telecom now. This sector makes up 5% of my portfolio. Uh, I have about $1,800 in it, and I've made about $100, a little over $100, which has been mostly dividends, $61 in dividends of that $100. Now, both of these companies pay significantly high dividends. They, they average, if you were to split them in half, the average dividend would be 5.4%. So that's what this pie is with the 50% weighting on each of the companies. Now, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the future of these companies, what we can predict, as well as what we already know with the past. So the past is a lot more known, and we can look and see how these performed. And one of these one of these companies has performed drastically better than the other. Let's go and take a look at a graph to illustrate this. I'm going to throw this up on the screen. Okay, so this is the growth of $10,000 with dividends reinvested. Meaning, in 2009, if I were to put $10,000 into Verizon and then $10,000 into AT&T, and I just held those two different companies, it would be how much they're worth now. And Verizon, if you invested $10,000 into it, 2009, and all the dividends were reinvested, it'd be worth $29,433. The same thing with, I invest $10,000 in it in 2009, all the dividends are reinvested back, that is worth 18695 so the difference between 29000 and 18000 Verizon, you have made about $11,000 more over the past 10 years. But regardless, the, the returns have been crazy. So if I look at Verizon, the total return over this 10-year period would be 194%. With AT&T, it'd be 86%. So both of them have great returns, but Verizon's return is over double. So we can look at that, but... Really, when I look at the past, it doesn't disqualify arguments saying AT&T is a better investment now. You can't just look at the past and say, well, this company's performed good in the past, so it will in the future. So we're going to go look at this. Now, if I go back to the community post here, I wanted to highlight some of the comments. So I'll start with the most thumbs up comment here. It's from Reniger. He says, Ryzen is not bad, but their PE is higher, and I do think AT&T can do more and better. And when their streams come online, the 5G will boost both of them. For those of you who don't know what PE ratio is, I'll go over that real quick. I don't think I've ever talked about that. But a PE ratio of a company is market value per share over the earnings per share. And what that does is it gives you an idea of how much a company earns per the cost of each share. And the more a company earns per the cost of a share, the lower the PE ratio is. And that's a good thing. So you, you typically want a low PE ratio. That means the company is earning a lot of money per the price of the share currently. If you look at uh, AT&T and Verizon, he's saying, well, they're both good companies, but Verizon has a higher cost per share than AT&T does right now. Another comment from Timothy Castle, he says, AT&T has debt coming out of their ears. And I mean, that's, that's true. AT&T has a tremendous amount of debt. And a lot of people have mentioned that in the comments as well. And I want to just give you an illustration of how much debt AT&T has. So let's go ahead and I'll, I'll throw this graphic up on the screen. 
if you look at it, AT&T has over $160 billion in debt. They've been selling some assets. I mean, they've bought really good assets. They bought Warner Media, which has like HBO and, and all of their media. But they've also been selling some things to, to pay down debt a little bit. But they still have a tremendous debt schedule. If you look at this, a lot of it is within the next 10 years. That's when they're paying the most. 2020 being the highest where they have $15 billion worth of debt they have to pay in one year. AT&T, just to give you an idea of how much debt they have, it's more money in debt than most countries in the world have. Over half the countries in the world have less debt than AT&T does as a company. And so this is a massive scale of debt. Verizon, on the other hand, doesn't really have a whole lot of debt in comparison to AT&T. It's not something that people talk about a whole lot. Rather, it's the future of these companies. But let's go ahead and jump into some of the graphs on these. So I'll first start with Verizon. If we go to, this is Seeking Alpha here. If we go to Verizon, we have a 4.2% yield. This is on the dividends tab of it. If I go into the dividend history here, let's take a look at their dividend payments. It, it starts off and it's pretty flat and then they've been continually increasing their dividend. If I go to dividend growth, Verizon has a pretty slow dividend growth with both of these companies. When they start off with a dividend yield of four, like over 4%, you can't expect amazing dividend growth. It's just not realistic for a company that already is paying dividend that's two plus times the market average to grow their dividend like 10 or 20% a year. That typically doesn't happen. And it's not happening with Verizon either. They have their 4.2% dividend and their dividend growth over the past 10 years has averaged 3.79%. So it's still beating inflation. They're still paying out a much higher dividend than what most companies are doing, but it's not growing incredibly fast. Let's go ahead and look at AT&T in comparison. Their dividend is already 6.66%. They've grown their dividend for 35 years if you go to the dividend history here, look at that. They've grown their dividend consistently for such a long time, and they've still managed to keep it safe, which is pretty pretty impressive, I think. Now, if you go to dividend growth here, again, same thing. They already have such a high dividend. Their growth rate, you can't expect it to be the same. It's a little bit lower than Verizon. So Verizon's dividend is growing faster than AT&T's right now. But AT&T's over the past 10 years has been 2.26% dividend growth rate. Okay, so we can look at the charts of these companies and see that they have a long established history, both of them, of paying ever-increasing dividends and that they've been able to protect their dividends during harsh market conditions and recessions. And both of them have been really good that way. From a dividend investor standpoint, they're both great companies. That's why I have them as 5% of my portfolio and I'm invested in both of them. As far as which one is going to perform better into the future, you know what the community thinks. The majority of people want to put their money into AT&T. In my personal opinion of why AT&T is valued so much less right now than what I think it's worth is because of that conglomerate effect. When you have so many assets across different industries and they own media companies and they own HBO and they own all these different television stations and they have content licensed out, people can't get a grasp on what they actually do. It's easier to go to Verizon and just say, oh, I see those commercials that that guy, they're a wireless carrier and they have, they're the biggest. They always brag about how they're the biggest wireless carrier. That's an easy thing to wrap your head around. Investors can get behind it. And a lot of times that drives up the price, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a better investment. Let's go over to the Google charts here and just take a simple look at this. If we go to 2009, just somewhere in 2009, and I highlight this, according to Google, AT&T has returned about 19.5% over that time. And that's a pretty low return with the general market going up so much. Likewise, if we go to Verizon here, up 105%, depending on where you click in 2009, it's, it's up around 100%. So you can see that Verizon has returned a ton more in that amount of time, but with investing, you have to be somewhat of a contrarian and not just go with what company you think has raced up already. What I did 
to get really good returns on real estate on these different holdings in here, a lot of these companies, when I initiated my position into a lot of these real estate companies, they were getting hammered. I mean, the market wanted nothing to do with them at the time. And there was articles and things written about how bad the returns have been and how much of a waste of time they are and all of that. And now some of them I have 30 plus you know, percent on them, 25%, 10%, 31%, because I invested in a sector that was, it was already beat up. And so I look at AT&T, and I look at a company that in comparison to the rest of the market has been what I think is a little bit unfairly beaten up. I think they have a lot of solid assets. They have cash flow. When I look at their debt schedule, the majority of it is coming up in the next couple of years. And so I think it's a company that I would like to hold and be able to have once they get past this, this large mountain of debt here. I think that they'll be set up really well for the future. If we give them three to five years, this isn't short-term stuff, three to five years when they have a lot of the debt behind them, I think they'll be in a really good position. I'm not saying to only invest in AT&T. I think they're both good companies. I'm going to keep holding them, but I might start weighting my portfolio a little bit more to AT&T as it keeps dropping. That's where I stand at that so far. If you guys have other input, just leave it in the comments and I'll go ahead and maybe highlight it in the next video, see what you guys think. All right, so I want to move on to this and move to some breaking news uh, that happened this week, and I'll go ahead and just play a clip of it to introduce it. We do have some breaking news on Occidental's bid to buy Anadarko. You can add another name to this list of people who are competing in this. Berkshire Hathaway committing to invest $10 billion in Occidental. This is contingent on Oxy going ahead and buying Anadarko. Okay, so you can see the situation happening here. In fact, let me go to the drawing board and just draw this out for you, make it a little bit simpler. We have a few different companies here that actually have holdings as some of them. We have Chevron, which is CVX. We have Occidental, which is OXY. And then we have Anadarko Petroleum, this third country, this third company that I don't have as a holding, but I think it's APC as a ticker. And what's happening is these two companies, Chevron and Occidental, which are two energy companies, they want to buy this third energy company here. So they keep putting in bids of wanting to buy this company and they're going back and forth and obviously chevron i tried to illustrate this but they're a much bigger company than than occidental and as such they have a lot more they have a lot more to work with and so it looked like they were going to be able to get this acquisition but what happened is occidental is really motivated to get this acquisition and as such they've advertised that third parties could come in and help them and this is where things get interesting in comes a massive company BRK, Berkshire Hathaway, and Warren Buffett, who, I mean, they have $100 billion plus just sitting there that they want to find opportunities to use. And so when Occidental is saying, hey, we need help making this acquisition, I can already see Warren Buffett just rubbing his mitts together, right? He wants to come in and make this deal work out for him. Um, and that's really what he did. And there's a video that uh, PPC Ian did, another uh, YouTuber, dividend YouTuber did, explaining how he thinks that this is a negative thing for the shareholders, the common shareholders of Occidental Petroleum. And his reason for saying that it's a negative thing for him is because Berkshire Hathaway with this deal, what they said is we're going to give you a lot of money. We're going to give you like $10 billion and buy 100,000 shares. And what we want from it is we have what's called preferred shares. And our preferred shares are going to have an 8% dividend yield. If you look at it, Occidental currently pays the common shareholder 5.68% dividend yield. So Warren Buffett worked out a way where the shares that he's buying of this company, he gets an 8% dividend yield and the common shareholder gets a 5.6% dividend yield. And like I said, a lot of other people said, okay, 
this doesn't sound like a good deal for the common shareholder, right? That's the conclusion of it. That's what a lot of people on CNBC, a lot of commentators and different financial journals said that the common shareholders kind of get in the short end of the stick on this. And for the most part, I agree with them. I mean, I look at Occidental. And if I go to my portfolio here, let's go to the energy sector where I have this company. I'm down 33.85% on this company during a bull run. Not exactly the shining star in my portfolio. But what I got out this was, I think was a little bit different because while most people were focusing on the common shareholder and that it's not a good deal for them, what I focused on is what I'm commonly getting reminded of over and over and over again in my comments. If I go to some of the comments here, let me just put a couple of them on the screen. So here's the first comment and I'll go ahead and throw this on the screen. And the reason I bring this up, this has been something I've been fighting with for a long time. I actually put out a video. It's one of my first videos, one of the most viewed ones. It's called Debunking Dividend Lies. And this is a big lie that I think that needs to be debunked, that people have the wrong ideas about. And this real life example of what Warren Buffett's doing, I think is the perfect illustration to further evidence that I'm on the right side of this. And that this is a myth that needs to be debunked. The account name here is no name. He says that capital appreciation or a dividend is equivalent. The cash that isn't paid out is counted as assets on the balance sheet. And the shareholder is entitled to that cash. Therefore, the stock goes up to account for this cash. So what he's saying is that because when a dividend's paid, the company has less cash on its books, the company's valued a little less, that means that it's the same as if you're paid a dividend as if you sell a share. Now, there's, there's one comment like that. Let's go to another one. He says, when a dividend is issued, the share price is lowered by the amount equivalent value of the dividend. So dividends are forcing the sale of a portion of a stake. Pretty much saying the same point, that there's really no reason for dividends unless you just need the cash flow right now, and it's a little bit more convenient than selling a share. Okay, so for the people who think that selling a share is the same as being paid a dividend, I just have one question for you. I want you to consider this. If selling of a share was the same as paying a dividend, and in fact, the dividend just it caused you to, it forced you to sell a share, then why would Warren Buffett, when he has the option of being paid normal amounts of dividends, why would he specifically negotiate a deal in which Berkshire gets paid an 8% annual dividend instead of the common shareholders 5.6%? Why would Berkshire and the geniuses behind that company that's made it one of the biggest companies in the world go out of their way to negotiate a higher dividend yield? Why wouldn't they just sell the shares? Why would they attach themselves to a dividend that forces the sale, according to you, of shares on an annual basis? Wouldn't they have more control to be able to just have pay no dividends? According to the people that think that all else is equal, shouldn't Berkshire just be saying, you know what, we don't want a dividend at all. We want the company to have that money because that will increase our value of our shares. No, they're not doing that. They're saying we want an even higher dividend yield than what everybody else gets. We want to get more of that cash flow from this company. Obviously, it's not the same. It's not the same. Selling a share of a company is not the same as being paid a dividend. Warren Buffett knows this. That's why he's negotiated a deal where he gets a drastically higher dividend yield than the common shareholder. If it was the same, he wouldn't put any special preference on that. He realizes that he can get more cash flow this way, that he can put that cash flow into other businesses while retaining his full stake in Occidental, while he still owns all the equity in that company that he started with. Selling shares in it, he would keep diminishing his equity in that company. So for those people that are still under the impression that being paid a dividend is the same thing as selling a share, you're wrong. 
I mean, this is a striking example of why you're wrong. This shows you that Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, they're putting preferential treatment on negotiating a business deal that gives them a higher dividend yield. There's no reason, no good reason they would do this if they didn't think that being paid a higher dividend yield was different than just selling shares that they purchased. If they thought it was the exact same as selling shares, then they could just sell the shares and not even worry about this negotiation, not even worrying about putting this in the deal. There's no reason other than the fact that they are fully aware that selling equity in the company is different than being paid out some of the cash the company makes it's i mean it's on the surface it, it's kind of ridiculous that people even believe they're the same but now we have real life examples that aren't just people putting accounting numbers together these are real life examples showing that they are different so i hope this uh helps clear that up for people that weren't convinced in the first video but honestly i feel like i'm going to get this question more and more as time comes so i'll be dealing with it more in the future now moving on to some other news we have this whole thing with Trump and the tariffs has been going on for so long that I think there's some investor fatigue here. When Trump says anything about tariffs, anything with China, when Mnuchin or Kudlow or any of these guys tweet anything or say anything, the market just goes wild. And I think a lot of it is overblown. We heard Jeremy Powell say that the tariffs so far haven't really had that much of an effect on the economy. We know that Trump is trying to be hard on China and that a lot of the things he's doing actually has support. We had Chuck Schumer tweet him saying, you know, hold strong with China. It's the only way to actually negotiate with them. Most people, I think, know that China, to some extent, is taking advantage of our companies in the U.S. here. And so they want support for, for Trump in that aspect. The market reacts negatively to it. But like I said, I think a lot of it is overblown. Whenever I see the tariffs like bring the market down, almost inevitably, it'll go right back up and pretty quickly. And so it's this type of finicky investor behavior. One thing I'll say on this whole subject is that I can't imagine Trump letting tariffs kill the stock market. He's already staked his reputation in big part, which I think politically is probably a mistake because he staked his reputation on the stock market, how well it's performing. He's, he's kind of said, that's because of me. Well, if it goes down, people are going to say, that's because of you. And so he has a huge incentive to keep the stock market going upwards, to keep it stable, to not have it crash. And if he saw that something he was doing was having a negative effect on it for a long term, I think that he would try to reverse that, especially with midterms coming up. So Trump, the person that supposedly is harming the stock market with this tariff talk, he has strong incentive to keep the stock market and the economy strong going into midterms. So I'm not worried about the tariff news. I don't think it doesn't concern me all that much. That's all I'll say about it. When the stock market drops a little bit because of tariffs, I usually use it as an opportunity to buy. Uh, I think a lot of it is going to be short lived. But either way, that's my take on it. I'll leave this one here. Um, don't want to go too long. I have some other pretty cool videos lined up this week I think you guys will like that will be focusing on different aspects of investing. So I hope you guys have a good week, and I'll talk to you next time. We'll see you.